Well, you know, it's always a joy for me to um, have an opportunity to, to uh, declare God's goodness. And uh, that doesn't mean just standing up here, and, but rather um, to live a life that is desirous on magnifying His name and seeing Him glorified and lifted up. And uh, I, I recognize at the same time that when I say that, that I believe in my own life that it's impossible but I love passages, uh, words of truth that Jesus has spoken. Stuff like, um, with man, things are not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And so uh, we put our hope and our trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, this morning, if you have a handout, um, I actually, this, I have a, uh, a Bible study I've entitled this message, The Lord Our Righteousness. And where I'd like to start with is um, to take a look at, you know, we, within Christianity, this is kind of funny that we do this. Um, I saw this last week and I was laughing about it, but uh, at least in, in, our, in my generation, we like to shy away from the world, word religion or religious, you know what I'm talking about? Like it seems like that's kind of a taboo thing uh, when people talk to me about, well, are you, uh, you know, what, what faith are you or what do you believe in or what is that, you know? And and um, and then they say, well, I, you're, you seem like a religious man. And I'm always quick to say, hey, man, it's not about religion. You know what I'm saying? It's not about religion at all. It's all about what? Relationship. That's one of our key things. Or or maybe we kind of take a different line and we're like, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person and you're a spiritual person and we're all spiritual people and I'm on a journey. I'm on a spiritual journey. And so... Um, you know, we like to use these sorts of phrases, but obviously uh, within our realm, and I believe it's true because we have verses like what Jesus said when he defines what eternal life is in John chapter 17. And I like this because it's one of those things where um, we need to have some uh, rethinking or rethought about, well, what is it? I've asked this question sometimes even over the last couple of months. We had a night where I asked all of the kids in our youth group, what really is eternal life? And most of the time you get answers like, well, it's living a long time or because that's what, you know, eternal life, eternal forever and then life. Uh, life, so forever life. It's like living for a long time, but that's not really what Jesus taught. Or maybe it's like, um, what happens after we die? We have eternal life. But Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God. And so there's a lot of truth in the fact that um, we revolve a lot of our life and a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our understanding about um, our our position as uh, men and women, and then also in in respect to God, that it's all about relationship. And where do you start with a relationship? Well, when you start with new people, when we meet new people and we have opportunities to do that, we frequently start with trying to figure out what people's names are, right? So you're meeting someone new and you go up to them and you're like, hi, how are you doing? Uh, my name's Carrie. What was your name? Neri, right? So you start there and that's the beginning of our of our relationship, right? We start with usually learning one another's names. I'll tell you right up, like I have a real problem with that. I have like some sort of DNA mental programming that's like, okay, you know when you walk up to someone that you need to remember their name. So I ask them their, their name and I'm not like less than three seconds later, it's gone. It's like, I just forgot their name and they just told me what it is. So I have to ask it again and then they have, do you know what I'm talking about? But with God, I think that's a good, a good place to start. I mean, we say that um, we're not religious, we're spiritual. It's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. So if you're going to start a relationship, a good place to start is to learn the names of God. And so today, what, what I'd like to do is take an opportunity just to look at one of his names um, from the Old Testament. And um, in beginning, I think about some of the things that structure this 
to give us some framework, some mental framework and also some uh, truth framework to kind of work around. The fact of the matter is this, that God, what we believe, God, the almighty God, the one who has created all things and brought all things into existence, both seen and unseen, from uh, nothing, he has made everything that he has actually revealed himself to mankind. And he's revealed himself in several different ways through the physical creation, through his written word, and through the living word of Jesus Christ. And throughout here, we call that revelation, throughout this book, God has unveiled himself in many different ways. And in in fact, many times, he actually custom crafts certain circumstances in the lives of an individual or in the lives of a corporate nation even, we see this, just to unveil something about himself so that we can learn something about him, so that we can know something about his character. And usually, in the scriptures, his name isn't just like a name that we, you know, like uh, uh, today, or when Aiden, when Reg was pregnant with Aiden, you know, we were like, we didn't even know what we were going to name him. Even after he was born, we didn't have like a name picked out in advance, even though we knew that he was going to be a little boy. We were working on it and stuff. We bought like name books, you know what I'm saying? We're like looking up name books and stuff. And uh, Reg was in the hospital for like five days, and we were driving back and forth, and... Uh, Sam and I were actually going at it. We're like, well, what name do you like? Well, I kind of like Ian. Well, I like Christian. And I like Aiden. And so we were kind of, well, I like kind of Aiden, Ian, Christian, because it kind of sounds like a, a roller coaster, you know, Aiden, Ian, Christian. And uh, so we actually, we, we settled on, uh, we gave him three names, two middle names, uh, because they have meaning, actually, too. They all have meaning, which is kind of cool. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I just like that name. So we just name people. And frequently today, um, it's not a big, like, we don't necessarily choose names because of their meaning, but because of maybe their popularity, or maybe we like that name, like Tristan or something. And um, But God's names all have a specific meaning. And they unveil a little bit of an, in, an infinite God, an immortal, invisible, the Bible says, God. And he actually unveils himself through revelation of giving us a little bit of an understanding. So his names unveil something about himself to us. And in the, in the Psalms, you have these incredible passages of people that have gone on before us. Hebrews also talks about this, that there's a cloud of many witnesses that have gone on before us that are declaring the goodness of God to help us on our journey while we're here on the earth. Are you with me? And some of that stuff has been recorded in this book. There's other places, too, that we can go to be encouraged as well. We can read about uh, biographies of people who have been sold out for Christ, or we can see um, in the lives of people around us, how did you come to be here today? I mean, I can tell you that God brought you here, but there's also a plethora of people that God sent, missionaries, evangelists, people that, um, that He's connected your soul to Him through them. And uh, the psalmists go on, and, and they've learned... Things like, I love this, in Psalm 20, it says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but what? But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that's huge because, you know, back then, he was basically talking about armies, right? I mean, kings had armies. You know, if you had chariots, you were like, yeah, man, we got it going on. We got chariots, chariots of fire. You know, we, we have like things like, Strapped on to things, and we even, we're still making movies about this kind of stuff today, but today we have armies and we use technological, uh, um, technology to actually do war. And I would say, like, if we were to kind of bring a modern translation in that, it would say, like, some trust in armies, some in their government and in their nation, in their nation, but what? We as a people of God, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now that's not undermining 
our country or the people that are serving there. It's getting at our core values. You know what I'm saying? Does God and can God use governing authorities to protect people? And the answer to that is yes. Romans 13, clearly. He is in charge of all authorities. All rules and powers report directly to him. Okay, He's the one who does it. But in the heart of the believer, in the heart of the, of the follower of the true God, the God who has made all things, and we believe there's only one God who has done that, the psalmist says, hey man, I'm not about to put any trust in any weapons that I can create, uh, even though they're powerful, but rather I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord my God. Um, in Psalm 9, I love this verse as well, in verse 10 it says, and those who know your name, they put their trust in you. That's important, right? So I, I'm actually saying that based upon that verse, that the amount of trust that you have is actually directly proportional to your understanding of the name of God. And if you don't have a whole lot of understanding of God's name, then there's a possibility that you're going to run rather to Him in a time of need, you're going to run to something else. I'm just saying that's that's exactly what's going to happen. I've seen it in my own life, you know. Difficulties come. So we run towards money, or we run to another person, or we run over here, or we run over there. Or our heart looks directly to an, another thing. And it's not that those things are necessarily bad. Sometimes they are bad. Um, but it's not that they're all bad. But rather than running to... And I'm saying that the Bible says that the more we know and understand His name, then the more we're going to put our hope and trust in Him. And then here's the result of that verse too. It says, for... You have not forsaken those who seek you. And, and I'm saying, like if I were to ask you right now to give a testimony, has God ever forsaken you? And, I, and the answer is absolutely no. It's not, and I'm saying that this is truth. This is like gravity will drag you down and God will never forsake you. He never, no, never, ever, the true God of the universe will never forsake you. Are there imposters that will? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's imposters that will forsake you. But he will not. And, and we need to be a people who understand his name. How about this one from Proverbs? You guys know this one. We write songs about this, and it goes like this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and what? The righteous will run to it and will be safe. They will be saved. They will be delivered. And so we know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. I want to give you guys an opportunity before we open up the Scriptures, um, just to, because you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, in reality, the... Um, the way that the church is supposed to work, it says that when we gather together, that we're all supposed to bring something. In other words, it's not like going to the movies. You know, I got my ticket, man. All right, sweet. I hope this is good today. All right, we're down. All right. It's not like going to the movies to be entertained, but rather the Bible says that we each one bring a gift. Someone brings a teaching. Someone brings a song. Someone brings a word of encouragement. Someone brings a prophecy. Someone brings a tongue. Another one brings an interpretation. But in the end, what the Bible says is that we all have the same spirit. And what happens is it's not about, um, well, I hope that he prepared really well and I hope that they picked good songs that I like to sing. Rather, it's more about, I hope God's spirit is there today. And the promise is that he is here. So I want to give you guys, the church at large, us together, an opportunity to encourage one another. What are some of the names of God that you have run to in the past and found to be, he will not forsake me? What are some of the names? Just just shout them out. Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord, my provider. That was on uh, Abraham. And when when God was like, go and sacrifice your son. I love that story. A scary story. I hope he doesn't ask me to do that. I guess, I guess in some ways we have to do that. Sacrifice our children to the Lord, uh, at least spiritually, so they're not made idols. Okay, what other names? 
Father, absolutely. Messiah, the anointed one. We're going to talk about that today. Healer. Jehovah Rapha, actually. That's another one of his um, compound names. The Lord who heals. Okay. Anything else? We're going to cover some of those today. I would uh, would encourage you... um, like I said, and, and that will be one of my applications as well, get to know God's names. Um, for example, let's throw out a couple of these here. I, can't, I don't have time to go into a whole bunch of them, but I have several of them here on a piece of paper. And uh, one of them actually in the beginning, in the beginning what? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know what that, what that Hebrew word God there is? What is that one? Dane, come on, help me now. Elohim, right? Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And, and this word God, El, power, Heme, actually is a plural ending to it. It's really kind of cool, actually, how it connects together. Because it almost, it almost like begs to the possibility that even in the very beginning when Moses penned the, the book of Genesis, that the Trinity is actually embedded, even in his name. But specifically, looking at the fact that he is the, the powerful, mighty God who created all things. He's the one who has knit us together in our mother's womb. He's the one who's, who's bringing it all together. He's the one, uh, like in Psalm 139, it talks about like, in the secret dark place, you knew me even before I had a mind to understand. He's known us. He's made us. He's the creator. One of my uh, favorite ones too, I love this one, El Elyon, the most high God. That's like one of my, one of my banner names that I really love. Like he is the God, he is God most high. Isaiah actually says that God sits enthroned in, in heaven and, and heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool and all of the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers to him. That there is not a single person, there is no force, both seen and unseen, that can stop his purposes, that could change his mind, that could actually move him or prevent him from accomplishing his plans. He is the Most High God. I like this story too. Um, one of his names is El Roy. Have you guys heard that one before? El Roy, the God who sees... And that's, that's actually another one out of Abraham. A lot of his names actually kind of were birthed out of the time of Abraham. Uh, that was when uh, all that stuff went down with Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael being born, you know, and God was like, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And then they were like, well, how's he going to do that, man? Well, get your, get your maidservant, you know, let's try this. Let's, let's try and accomplish God's plan in our own way. And Ishmael's born. And, uh, and then afterwards, God's like, no, that's not the one. He's not the son of promise. Ishmael is not the son of promise. That's not the one that I promised. I'm going to give you a child by Sarah, even though she's, she's barren. And so Isaac is born, and his name means laughter. And uh, you know what ends up happening after a little while? Like, things get really tense in the house, you know, like because there's two women, and, uh, w- which wasn't necessarily God's plan. And, you know, and then Sarah's like, you need to get her out of here. And I, I can't live like this anymore. And what does Abraham do? He, he just is like, you're out of here. Yeah, I... You know, he actually asked God, though. Did, did he not ask God, like, couldn't Ishmael just be the one? And God was like, no, he's not. So he actually, you know, was like, gave Hagar and Ishmael the boot, and, uh, and they were just out in the wilderness. They didn't even have anywhere to go. Their home was gone. And, and they get to the point where they don't even have water anymore. Remember the story? And Ishmael, who's probably older, is like off crying in the desert, and, and Hagar is just like all broken, and God shows up and says, hey, look, there's an oasis right over there for you. For water. Go get some water for your son. And I want to let you know that I'm going to take care of you. Why? Because I am Elroy. I am the God who sees. I know exactly what's going on. Even though you thought 
that I was afar off, I'm right with you. I've seen your affliction, and I'm going to take care of your son too. He is going to be a wild man. He is going to be crazy. He's going to have a whole nation that is going to come forth from him. And now we know that uh, at this point in time that there's a lot of difficulties that arose from that, but um, there's, there's also a lot of truth in the fact that God knows. Do you understand his name? Can you run to his name? Do you know that he sees? He knows. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in the dark. He knows what's going on in the light. He knows when you're suffering in your relationships. He knows before you know when your body is suffering. He knows the number of your days. He is going to gather you to himself. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He is El Roy, the God who sees. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. I love this one too. Adonai. I just like to say that. It's kind of fun to say. It's like Adonai. Why don't you say that with me? Adonai. Right? That's how I want to. Adonai. I like that one. That means master or Lord. And uh, sometimes it's good to know because when you read like some of the Psalms, it says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, we're totally missing something if we can't see the Hebrew behind there. Because what he's saying is, O Lord, like Jehovah or Yahweh, O Lord, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Man, it takes on a whole new meaning. It's like, O covenant-keeping, self-existent, beautiful God who always keeps His promise, who is my Master, how exalted is your name in all of the earth. And so, like, it's so, it's, I'm just kind of trying to encourage you guys and, and coming to know. And then there's, there is, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. His name's so holy that in the Old Testament, like, they didn't even write all the characters. Like, they just wrote some of the characters. And, um, so, and, and from there, where did that name actually first actually spill out? It kind of spilled out in the Exodus part. You know what I'm talking about? When Moses was, Moses grew up, and you know the story. Um, we sing songs about it still. We talk about it still. And when he's 80 years old, he sees the burning bush in the wilderness. And he's just trying to talk God out of the plan. You know, he's like, hey, man, it's not me. I'm not, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. No, you are the one. No, man, I can't talk. Who made your mouth? I made your mouth, okay? I'm the, I'm the one who made your mouth. Well, I can't do that. Well, take your stick and throw it on the ground. Comes snake, pulls it back up. Hand in a sleeve, you know, and leprosy and everything that, and all that stuff happens. He's like, well, I, I still can't do it. I, I'm still, I don't even know who you are. When I go there and they ask me, hey, who it is it? Who is it that sent you? You know, he's just coming up with excuse after excuse, and God is just like, you know, like hemming him in, excuse after excuse. And what does God say? He says, when you go there and they ask you who sent you, you tell them that the I am sent you. Namely, the, the, in, the, in the, the name Yahweh, the, the name Jehovah at its essence is like the self-existent one. It comes from the, from the word to be. Like it's not even really a noun. It, it, it's just a phrase of I am. I exist. I am the source of everything. I do not depend on anything. Everything springs from me. Everything else needs soil. Everything else needs me. I need nothing. I am the self-existent one. But on top of that, not only does it speak about the fact that he's like the self-existent one, it also speaks to the fact that he's the covenant-keeping God. Namely, he told Abraham, hey, your descendants, you're going to have a lot of them. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And when that happens, eventually your people are going to be put into slavery for 430 years. But I'm going to tell you, after that time, that's longer, by the way, than the United States has actually existed, right? They were in slavery for longer from the time that Joseph actually brought his family out of uh, the wilderness into Egypt. They were there for 430 years. And now God is like, all right, it's time to kick it off. Remember my promise. I am the promise-keeping God. I am the covenant-keeping God, the one who promised to deliver my people out of the hands of Egypt. And so I'm lifting you up, Moses, 
to go and to be, to be my vessel, the vessel that I'm going to use, and, and by a mighty hand, and by many powers, because the king, the pharaoh, will not let the people go easily, because I want my name to be glorified, my covenant-keeping name to be glorified. I want people all around the world, in every language, in every tongue, to be talking about my covenant-keeping name for the rest of the earth, while this time actually exists. I'm going to deliver them. And I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah God. I am the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And I laugh about this. I bring it up sometimes. But here it is. You know, what is it like? uh, Thousands of years later. And here we have even Metallica is writing songs about that deliverance. They wrote a song. It's called Creeping Death. So here they are, like in the late 80s and 90s. They're writing. So here you have like this heavy metal rock band writing a song about what? About the truth of the fact that our God delivers. Now, they were kind of focused in on the last plague and stuff, but you still get the, st- the story. Here they are making money off of a song, namely, but the, but the bottom line is God's name is exalted in all the earth, and here it is. We still have it. And he's got a whole bunch of compound names, too, right? We actually referred to some of them. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He, um, uh, Jehovah Nisi, the God who is my banner. And there's, there's a whole bunch of them. Jehovah Shalom, the God who is my peace. Uh, the Lord who is my shepherd. And there's a ton of them. Today we're going to be looking at one, which is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is my righteousness. And so, Jeremiah chapter 23. That was all an introduction. Isn't that sad? I'm just saying. <clears throat> all right. Jeremiah chapter 23. Let's read it together. Oh, that's not even where it's at. Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm starting in verse 1. And God, I want you to pick up on this. When we read this, what I want you to be looking for is the, the word I, the pronoun. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then the Lord declares. And, and usually you're going to see, like, if it's in all caps, that's his covenant-keeping name. That's the covenant name. That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah, okay? That's his name. So as we read through this, just, just a couple things to pick up on this. Verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Yahweh, Sidkenu, Jehovah, Sidkenu, the, the covenant-keeping God saying, the one who is our righteousness. So let's point out some things about, about God from this passage. Number one, the Lord is passionate about his flock. Can you see it? I mean, just in this little verse, just a couple passages, just like six verses. What do you learn about God from there? I mean, namely, start number one, like he's all about his people. He's all about his people. The King of Kings, the Lord of glory, is all about his people. Look at some of the phrases. I'm going to attend to you shepherds who aren't taking care of my people. You know what's going on in that day and age? I mean, Jeremiah was sent as a prophet to people that really weren't that interested in worshiping God. I mean, they might have had a form of religion, 
a form of religion, but they weren't all about um, worshiping him only. I mean, they would like be offering sacrifices and burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and other and other idols and stuff. They weren't running to him to find their need. They weren't living lives that were dedicated or separated out. And and God God's purpose and plan, even in um, redeeming people out of Egypt was to create a peculiar people that would love like he loves, that looks like he looks, that smells like he smells, that declare his name through the way that they live, and the people were profaning it. You know, God would say, like, you are my bride. I have brought you to myself. I have made a covenant with you, and yet you're committing adultery with false gods all the time. And not only that, but the leaders were doing this, Right? It wasn't just the people in general. There wasn't like leaders there that were saying, hey, look, you need to stop doing that. That is not what God desires. Turn our hearts again towards God. Would God receive them? Yes, but it was the leaders, the shepherds of their people that were leading them in their evil ways. I mean, every once in a while you get a king. You know what I'm talking about? There was like a king like Josiah that came on, on the scene and he was like, oh man, I found a scroll. I read it. Whoa, dude. We're like in a world of hurt because we're not even close to the target here. Let's try and fix some of this stuff. So they'd, he'd work hard at trying to fix some of this, but then even the scriptures would say, but he still didn't do away with the high places where people were worshiping false gods. And then after that, you get like a whole bunch of kings in a row that are all just like, oh, God, 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 no, we're not worshiping him. Let's go and do, look, those people have fruit and stuff and, and they have wine over here. I like their God and I'm going to marry one of them too. And, and so they just start doing all kinds of stuff and, and leaving the Lord behind and leaving their covenant-keeping God that delivered their people in the past. God says, I'm going to attend to you for your evil deeds. I'm also going to gather my flock. And you see this here too. I have driven them away. So, you know, God is kind of like, he is a healer. And you know, sometimes, have you caught this too? Like you can see there's so many metaphorical pictures about God all over the place. Here's one of them for you. Physicians, don't sometimes they injure so that they can bring healing? Sometimes physicians injure so that they can bring healing. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you go into surgery, I mean, they're going to cut cut something, you're going to be injured so that they can fix something inside. And in the end, the end game is to bring some healing to you. And God is like that too. He does that sometimes. And in this particular case, he was like, I'm bringing Nebuchadnezzar in. The Babylonians are coming in. I'm going to put you um, underneath their rule for 70 years, but then I'm going to deliver you out. And so there was a lot of suffering that was going on. But here it is, you know, sometimes God actually brings difficulties into people's lives simply so that he can declare his glory and in the end bring a a more righteous people, a people that is more um, focused on his name and on his glory rather than on their internal gods and idols. Are you with me? And so sometimes he'll, he'll wound to bring a better healing and he does do that. And in this case, we have him doing that. I've driven them out, but I'm going to bring them back. I will set shepherds over them and look at the result of the shepherds that he's going to set over them. What's the result of them? The people will no longer fear they'll no longer be dismayed in the end. And not only that, but not a single one of my sheep is going to go missing. I mean, what does that sound like, right? Have you read the Gospel of John? It's right there. In fact, you know, in our church, we have Awana now. It goes all the way from preschool, like we have cubbies even now, all the way through high school. And in almost every one of those books, Every single year, the young people that are doing those books, if they're memorizing the verses, are going to memorize this passage in John chapter 10. And this is what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd, right? I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. There's not a single sheep that God has in the earth that he doesn't know. He knows them all intimately and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one 
no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, He's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so not a single sheep is going to go missing, okay? Not a single one. You have that in Jeremiah. You have it in John chapter 10. What else is God going to do? Well, He's going to raise up a righteous branch. That's what it says in Jeremiah 23. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. What is He going to do? He's going to reign as king. He's going to deal wisely. He's going to execute justice. He's going to execute righteousness in the land. In his days, salvation will be proclaimed. Not only to my people, but this was kind of one of the mysteries, but it was there in the Old Testament. Not only to God's people, but salvation would be opened up to the uttermost ends of the earth. That the the king, ultimately, we have on this side, will become a light to the Gentiles. Are you with me? A light unto the Gentiles even. Bringing salvation to the whole earth. And this is the name by which he shall be called. What? Who? The King. The Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh, Sidkenu. Jehovah, Sidkenu. The God who is our righteousness. He is passionate about his flock. He's so passionate about it, he's going to send a king himself. No longer relying on some sort of like... Um, um, genealogical lineage lineage that comes from history. Well, I inherited the throne, so all of my children then become rulers. No, no, no. God isn't about that. He's not about looking on the externals, right? He's saying, I am going to send a king who will be for me, 100% for me and for my people. Okay, so point number two. The righteous branch, I'm, I'm actually putting forward that I believe the righteous branch in Jeremiah 23 is Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my premise. It doesn't say that in Jeremiah, but I'm saying that I believe that the righteous branch spoken of in Jeremiah 23 is Jesus Christ. We are Messiah-ins. Are you with me? There's a whole bunch of people that would say, yeah, there was a historical Jesus, but he didn't fulfill certain um, prophecies. And so because of that, we reject him as being Messiah. We reject him as being the king, as being the anointed one, the promised one that was promised through Moses and through the prophets, there are certain things that he did not do, and because of that, we reject him as being Messiah. If he comes back, like some of you Christians say he's going to, and he fulfills those prophecies, at that point in time, we will bow the knee and say that he is Messiah. But until that time, we will not do it. And, uh, and there's other ones that are just like, oh, we don't really care at all. Uh, I'm going to say that as a Christian as a Messiah-in, as a follower of the Anointed One, we believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So here's some passages that I'm going to use to kind of support my, my position. All right, here it is. Isaiah 9-6. Now, we're going we're gonna to actually hear more of this over the next couple of weeks because Christmas is only like eight weeks away. So we like to quote this passage a lot around the Advent season. And so here it is. Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given. So we're talking about a physical birth, right? A human being being born into the world. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So we're talking about some kind of ruler, whether he's elected or whether he's a monarch. I mean, I don't really know yet, but the government will be on his shoulders. And his name shall be, and by the way, these names were names that were shared in the 8 o'clock service. And now you're thinking, dude, yeah, I totally should have shared those names when I had that opportunity, right? So here it is. They were shared in the 8 o'clock service, almost every single one of them. What is it? Wonderful Counselor. Have you known, have you known Jesus Christ to be a Wonderful Counselor? God to be a Wonderful Counselor. How about Mighty God? 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of what? David. On the throne of David. I will raise up a righteous branch, a Davidic line, on the, and, and of His government on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now listen, that's another one of God's covenant names, right? This morning in the 8 o'clock service, they sang one of my favorite hymns. It's a mighty fortress is our God. Lord Sabaoth, His name. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Is God passionate about His people? Absolutely, He's passionate about His people. He's so passionate, He's willing to send His Son into the world. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of His kingdom it will never end. This is the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You remember what I'm talking about? If you guys haven't read it, I'm going to encourage you guys to read it. When Nebuchadnezzar had the dream of the big statue, it was a huge statue, golden head, silver chest, bronze middle, uh, iron with clay for the feet. And like, uh, he was like, someone's got to tell me my dream and, it, and interpret it for me or I'm going to just kill all the smart people in the land. Now, that's not very smart. You know what I'm talking about? But that's, I'm going I'm to kill all the smart people if, unless you can tell me my dream and interpret it. Uh, Daniel actually gets, some, gets a prayer meeting together and God reveals it to him. And it's a, it's a revelation of the coming kingdoms. But you remember what happens to the statue? What happens to it? Oh, dude. After all the statues, which are all of the kingdoms that came, so Babylon, Babylon uh, the Medes and the Persians, and, um, and then the, the Grecian people, Alexander the Great, and then Roman, and then what happened in the dream? This huge rock falls from heaven, right? Giant rock on top of the, on top of the statue. It's like, bam! Smashes all of the rocks so that there's nothing left. And then this huge rock becomes this, in, this massive mountain. And that kingdom will never end. All the other ones were like dust. And that kingdom never I'm saying that that is the kingdom that, that is spoken about here. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. How about um, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke? I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, building a, I'm building a case that Jesus is the righteous branch, right? Gabriel's testimony to Mary. What did he say to Mary when he came? Gabriel shows up. What does he say to Mary? In Luke chapter 1. And behold... You will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. His name even means something, doesn't it? It means that God saves. Yahweh saves. The covenant-keeping God will save his people. All right? You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called what? The Son of the Most High God, El Elyon. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, what? Help me with it. There will be no end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. There is no end to the rule and to the reign of the Messiah. And we believe it to be Jesus. Did Jesus testify that he was the king? I'm going to say, yeah, he did. Where? To Pontius Pilate. In John chapter 18, you know, Pilate was trying to get out of it, man. He was, he was doing all he could. His wife had a dream, like, don't, do, don't, don't have anything to do with that man. Uh, and, you know, if Reg sends me a message, you know, like, it doesn't matter where I'm at. If I get that message, I'm like, whoop, I better listen to this because she's smarter than I am. And I better listen because I usually find that if I don't listen, 
I'm going to get in trouble. And, and so he gets this vision and he's trying to get out of it. And so he's looking and he finally comes to Jesus and he's like, look it, are you a king? Are, they're telling me that you're, you're saying that you're the king of the Jews. Are you the king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? So he's like, he's not, still not getting it. I asked you, but now you're saying that your kingdom is not of this world. I mean, are you, is it of this world or is it not of this world? Because I'm not understanding. Can't you just answer me plainly? Are you a king? And Jesus says what? You say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. Oh, yeah. Did he testify that he was the king? Absolutely. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And what did Pilate say to that? The same question that people ask us day in and day out when we talk about our Savior. What is truth, anyways? What is it? How do we define it? We define it by the person of Jesus Christ. And then John, in the gospel, or in the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Not the revelations, like a bunch of uh, fortune cookies, but in the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus, this is what he says in, John, or in Revelation 17. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For why? Because he is the, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. This is the Lamb of God, the one who laid down his life, the, the, the prophet and priest and king of Jesus, who was not only the priest, but also the sacrifice that he made. And, and in this passage, we see him high and exalted and lifted up, and he's got a sash. And I think he's even got like a tattoo on his leg. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, he's got it all going on. And, and the people are like, Let's gather and make war against this one. And I'm saying, I heard a man say one time that when, the, when a warrior shows up for battle and he's in the front and he's wearing white, run. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it's, it's going to be catastrophic. Catastrophic. And I'm saying that is this battle going on? It's going to happen. But is he the King of Kings and Lord of Lords right now? Yes. I'm, I, can I ask another question? Are the people in McHenry right now waging war against the Lamb? Are they waging war against the Lamb of God? And I'm saying, yes. They are waging a feudal battle against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know what that does? That leaves us with a degree of responsibility to do what? Can, can, we, like, can we like just run out and be like, look at dude, come on man, I'm dragging you, I'm dragging you. Come on, I've got to get you out of here. No, but we as a church are on a mission, are we not? And we're like, look at you got to get out of that side, man. I was there. I was there. It wasn't pretty. And, 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 and the future is very, very dark. Let's get out of it. And this is the way and the truth and the life. And we point not to ourselves, but we point to the God who saves. Are you with me? That's our role and responsibility, to shine the light of Jesus Christ here in McHenry, to point people towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that they might cease their warring and find peace and security in Christ. That's the only place that we can find it. That's how God has designed it. Point number three, our righteousness is not our own, but it is the Lord's. You guys know this passage. This is another, um, another Bible verse that 
we memorize quite frequently from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, speaking of our righteousness, it says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That is a true, true statement about every single human being that has lived from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were first created all the way to the point there is only one person that has escaped that, um, the truth of that passage. And even that, he submitted himself to the curse, paying the penalty that was not his but ours, and that would be Jesus Christ. All of our iniquities have colored us dark. All of us. There is not a single person, human being, regardless of what nation they live in, that has escaped this. It has been proven out specifically from the Scripture and doctrinally. It is the reason why we die. For death came into the world because sin came into the world. Thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. You guys know this verse, Romans Road, right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our righteousness. Like a polluted garment. Like a faded leaf. Our iniquities like the wind has taken us away. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, contextually speaking about the law, the law is holy, it is righteous, and it is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The unfortunate part of the law is that it had no way to give us any form of right standing. It's interesting, though, because we still fight for that. Even though the Bible clearly tells us over and over and over again, there is no right standing with God on the basis of keeping the law. For if you stumble in one part, you are guilty of it all. (laughs) That's what the Scriptures clearly teach. And yet, this is what Paul wrote in Galatians, is the law contrary to the promises of God. May it never be, for if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But a law was not given that could impart life. Rather, a law was given that actually brings out the fact that we are unrighteous. How many times have we lied? How many times have we dishonored our parents? How many times have we left the God who loves us passionately to pursue other idols? How many times have we hated without cause? How many times have we profaned His name? How many times have we done all of that? And so the law becomes a tutor to lead us to Christ. The Scripture has imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ alone might be given to those who believe. He is the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, the only way for us to have our garments cleaned. That is why He Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through Me. It's as simple as a child can understand it at a young age, and yet at the same time, It's wrapped up in even the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt, story after story after story. God has wrote the Gospel into the Scriptures, into our lives, into the lives of people that have gone on before us so that we can get it over and over and over again. And yet still we struggle with putting our hope in the name of the Lord our God. The next point on this is that the believer's righteousness comes solely from Christ, scripturally. In Romans 3, starting in verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You know what that's saying? God has made a way. He's put it in this book. It's in here. It's in here. It's in the book. 
God has made a way. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Here it is. You want right standing with God? He's willing to give it. It's not a right standing that you can earn, but a right standing that He is willing to give on the basis of what His Son has done and on the basis of our faith trusting in the plan that He has provided. Not in the plan that we have made, but in the plan that God has made. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm always reminded, this is one of my Ron Piper passages, by the way. Sorry to break you out, bro, but it's just so funny. Because Ron, actually, from the time that I've known him, like this is one of, I mean, I hear this a lot. Like his, the, the Holy Spirit in him quotes this passage quite frequently. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And what does it say? He, made, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to what? To become sin for us. Why? So that we might become, what? The righteousness of God in Him. Our righteousness is completely and totally rested all 100% in Christ's obedience. Totally there. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He took on the curse. He took the curse, even though He did not deserve it. He became a curse for us to help us to escape from the curse that is rightly ours to bear. It is rightly ours to bear. God is just. You know, the beautiful part about that is that he becomes, the, he becomes just and the justifier of those who believe. Satan cannot come, cannot come and say, Neri, like, you're, you're, you're not clean. And he, he'll do that too. He'll do that. He'll be like, you'll stumble and fall and he'll be like, he'll just start bringing junk up. He'll be like, yeah, remember what you did like when you were like five years old and then when you were 12 and then you did it again when you were like 22 and then this happened again. And he does this kind of stuff. He'll do that. And he'll, he'll condemn us and bring it. And I'm saying like, look at our right standing is not on the basis of our performance. It is based on Christ's perfect performance. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So I have to ask the question again based upon that verse. Is the Lord our righteousness, the King who will, be, who will be given the title, the Lord our righteousness, is it not Jesus? Is it not Christ Jesus, our Lord? Is it not Him? Second Corinthians 5.21. And this is one of my favorites in Philippians chapter 3. I just love Philippians 3. It's, like a, it's just a, for me, musically, it's just a beautiful passage of music, of praise to God. But Paul actually says this in verse 9. I want to be found in Christ. He is my first place everything. I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that is derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead so that I might be where He is. Believer, the reality of it is when it comes to heaven, if Jesus is not there, you will not want to be there. There will be no idols in heaven. There will be nothing that you want to see in glory that will come in your heart before your desire to see Christ high and lifted up. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I do not want to be clothed in my own righteousness. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not. That's my Twitter handle. When it talks about who I am, I say, I am not. I am a not. 
I am the thing. I am one of the things that are not. I was a stone that was dead, and now I am alive. I was a stone that never praised God, and now I have been given a heart, not on my own initiative, but on His rather, that is desirous and seeking the glory of His name. And I don't expect that desire to end at the time that my body perishes. For I agree with Job. Even if my body perishes, yet in my flesh I will see the Lord my righteousness and exult in Him, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what He has done. He's wrapped up the victory for us and given it to us. We have been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. It is God. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I have to ask the question again. Do you agree with the psalmist? Are you a person who puts their hope and trust in the name of the Lord their God? Have you, have you come to that point where you're doing that? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in and of yourself, but in Christ. I tell you, we have a challenge. The challenge is, is that we're always, we're like pre-programmed, even after being regenerated, it seems, that we start with grace and then we move on to works again. I don't know why, but this happens. But having that knowledge, we have now spoken about it, and having that knowledge, now you can begin to war against it. Are you with me? Put your hope in the name of the Lord your God. Not in Carrie. Not in me. Not in I. Not in myself. But in another who accomplished everything for me. How do we apply this? Well, number one, I personally believe Jeremiah 23 actually proves out once again that Jesus is deity. That He is deity. Are you with me? That, that, that He wasn't sending a king that was going to be born and, and that was just like someone that had a special blessing of, an, of, uh, of Holy Spirit filling. Because, and I'll tell you why. In Isaiah chapter 42, this is what God says. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Are you with me? That's what he says about himself. So now I'm going to ask you, do you think that he would take a man like me and then put me in charge of everything and then say, yeah, you're, I'm going to give you my covenant name? Well, we have namesakes. Don't get me wrong. We, still, we name people against Jesus. But he's saying that the, the righteous branch is going to be him. Remember, Isaiah chapter 9, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that the, that the one who was to be born would be deity incarnate. And so once again here, we have an opportunity to look at the Trinity and see that the Lord, our righteousness, the name of which that the righteous branch would rule, was actually teaching that it was God who was going to come in the flesh. Are you with me? They should not have been surprised when Jesus said, I am the Son of my Father. They should not have been surprised. Even... Jeremiah wrote that it was the Lord who was going to wrap his deity somehow into a physical body. And Isaiah wrote of it, and others wrote of it as well in the Psalms. He was going to wrap his deity into a physical body, and he would come and to rule and to reign. No longer at the mercy of our human frailness, but rather deity and humanity mixed together in some mysterious way that a righteous king would rule and bring peace and security and hope and light, and life to everyone. 
Jeremiah 23 supports that because he has God's holy covenant name, the Lord our righteousness. Point number two, the Lord's passion for us moved him to secure our righteousness through Jesus Christ. He's not trying to, he, he wasn't about waiting for us to produce some sort of right standing with him. He knew exactly where we were at, that we were bankrupt. I'm telling you though, we still have a tendency to diversify our spiritual stock interests. Why? Why do we do that? We, we're like, well, you know, I, I need to make sure that I have enough money over here and I have this over here and I want to have that over there and then trouble falls and what happens? We run over to this person or we run over to this bank account or we run over here and we do this. And I'm saying in that particular case, when we do that, we haven't learned yet to put our hope first and foremost in the name of the Lord our God. I'm not saying that those things are not provided by God for us. That's not what I'm saying. But first and foremost, we run to Him. He is our hope. He is our light. He is the one. I have a quote from uh, this guy, Pastor Tulian, who's actually down in Florida, and this is what he says. The gospel doxologically, that is, it sings, the gospel doxology declares that my relationship to God is not based upon my radical struggle for Jesus. But rather, what, the, what this book teaches is that, that it is rather a radical struggle of Jesus for me. And we get that twisted around. A lot we get that twisted around. And then we begin to, to measure our performance and, and our right standing with God and, and how we're connected with God. Rather, we, we measure it based upon what we're able to do and, or not do. And it, it leads to pride and arrogance or maybe even other roads that we go down where, we, where we're um, beating ourselves up and we're actually joining into the enemy's camp rather than believing God. It's not a faith to do that. Neither direction. Pride or self-abasement. For the, Ephesians says that Jesus has been lifted and seated high above all rule, power, and authority. Do you know, Christian, that that's where you're seated? You're seated far above all rule, power, and authority. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. And I'll, I'll bang this drum until my, my voice no longer um, can operate. We are not on the defense, people. Our king, our king has secured the battle. It's not even going to be a battle. We're just going to be there. He's going to slay people with a word from his mouth. We're not even going to have to do anything at all. He's going to do it all. Are you with me? We are not on the defense. We are in the offense. So if we're posturing spiritually in a defensive position, it's because we need to get on our knees and on our face before the Lord and get in this book and find out what, who we really serve and learn to not put our hope in chariots ourselves or horses, our abilities, but rather to put our hope in the name of the Lord our God and learn to go into the offensive, into the offensive position. We've already won. Christ has already won. Can you feel it? God's grace, Jesus, is much more than just the forgiveness of sins. He's secured it. And not only that, but His Spirit invades our life and helps us to live. Lastly, pursue your relationship with the Lord by learning His names. I'm going to say it over here. If you don't know his names, learn them. It'll transform your prayer life. I'm telling you, learn his names. He is the Lord, my righteousness. When I begin to trust in my ability, or Satan comes running off and says, "Wow," you're, and, and pride starts to well up within me, or um, self-abasement starts to rise up with me, in me, and I, I stumble and fall, and I do, and I get dirty, and, and, and Satan is right there, and he's just like, dude, you, you're so sick, man. You, you, you don't even open up that book. Don't get that guitar out and worship him. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Are you able to put on the armor of God? By the way, what armor piece is the breastplate? What is it? 
the breastplate of righteousness. You're actually wearing Christ. That's what you're wearing. And so even the enemy, so take up the, field, the shield of faith. Even the enemy cannot, cannot conquer us. Are you with me? Even if the body dies, it is not, it is not defeat. It is not defeat. We are in the offensive. And we need to, we need to realize that as the church, especially here in America, because we've just, you know, I'm telling you, we get upset when we don't have the internet. You know, we're like, dude, I'm being persecuted! I don't have the internet anymore! You know, and, uh, so can you see it? And then the last, the last verse I'm going to share. And, uh, it comes out of the Beatitudes. You guys know this one, right? Just to prove out, once again, that in Jeremiah 23, the, the righteous branch is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord our righteousness. And what does he say there? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, the gospel is incredible. I, I just spent like, I don't know, 50 minutes or so, 55. Uh, Reg is like, yeah. Uh, 55 minutes going over just, and this is just one of his names. And I'm not even like touching on it hardly at all. You know, the beautiful part about it is it's so simple a child can understand it. Um, at the crusade, Aiden actually was with Reg and he prayed to, to believe on Jesus as his Savior, you know, and at five years old. And uh, he's pretty, you know, he talks about God um, at home and stuff. It's pretty funny stuff. And uh, so I love the simplicity of the way that a child, a child can understand it, you know. And um, uh, we had communion this month in October, and we, Reg and I had, had decided that we would let him take communion, even though he's just five. And uh, so when the cup came, you know, he took it, and he looked over at Reg, and he had the little ele- he had the element, and he looked at Reg, and he goes, this is Jesus' food, isn't it? And, uh, and she was like, yeah. And, and I'm saying that that's how we approach God. Are you with me? Like a child. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, but not looking to yourself, but rather looking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord who is our righteousness. Make Him your banner. Wear Him as a garment. Wear Him as a garment. Do not let the enemy harass you. Do not let your soul harass you but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind by putting your hope in knowing the name of the Lord our God. It should be a tattoo on our soul. Are you with me? He is the Lord my righteousness. There is no question about where we gain our righteousness from. It comes totally and completely from Him. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks and we worship You. We delight in You. We exalt in You. And uh, may we, as a people, as individuals, learn not to boast in chariots or in horses, but rather in the name of the Lord our God. Thank you for sending Jesus, our King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord who is our righteousness. It is because of him that we have right standing with you. He is everything to us, and we worship you this morning. Amen.